Heavenly Father, this is a uh, this is a Thanksgiving service where we are intentionally uh, looking up to you and giving you gratitude or grace back to you, blessing. And Father, I just want to thank you for Father everything it took to get us here. I think sometimes we fail to realize. Everything we have is a gift from you. So first of all, thank you for this warm building. Thank you for the clothes we have. Thank you for a beating heart. Thank you for air to breathe. Thank you, God, for automobiles that work. Thank you for money to pay our bills this week. God, I thank you for friends and family that love us. I thank you, God, even for this nice sound equipment where it can be heard by, I don't need to yell. People can hear with no problem. There's so many things that you have given to us that, God, I know, I know I take for granted. I know I do. And I'm sorry. Because I have all these things, and yet I continually want more. And so, help us to stop right now, God, and to pause on what you have given us that is undeserved and are tremendous gifts. I think of children. Think of your word. Think of food that we have. Help us to be appreciative. Not because we are making you happy by that, but because it's just, it's fitting. It's a fitting response to everything you've given. So Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I can even come up here and present your word. It is a gift. I thank you for the freedom we have in our country to present the word. Father, I even thank you for the voices and the, the gifts and skills you've given to our church. I thank you for Jared and the worship team, which bring beautiful music and help us to come to your throne. I thank you for the choir who has also just shared with us their hearts. So, Father, we are grateful. We are. But more than anything, God, we are grateful for Jesus Christ. He's amazing. And he's ours. In your name we pray, amen. That's the theme for today is thankfulness. And as you're going to see, thankfulness thankfulness is usually in our minds a spontaneous response. But today we're going to talk about thankfulness being an intentional activity. But before I get to that point, I want to make a Thanksgiving prediction. Here's my Thanksgiving Day prediction. And no, it has nothing to do with the lion's because they'll lose anyhow. So it's not a prediction. It's a mathematical certainty. So what kind of prediction is that? Here's my prediction, and I'm going to predict something that's going to happen in some of the hearts of the moms and grandmothers in here. And you'll, you'll understand what I mean. So Thursday morning, you wake up, mom, grandma, probably early, 6, some 5.30. You wake up, slippers on, you go into the kitchen, and you turn on the stove. You heat it up. You turn on the stove because you've got to get that big turkey ready. You put the turkey in the pot, put all of the basting requirements in there, and you slip that turkey in there. People are still sleeping. Then you, you can put a ham in there too. Some of you are peeling potatoes. Some of you are gathering all the right ingredients to get that green bean casserole just right. Then you have to make the crust for your pumpkin pie. You have to take that rolling pin and roll it out with flour flying on your face. 
And then it's about, oh, 9 o'clock. People are just starting to get up. Demanding bacon. Where's the bacon and cinnamon roll? And, if, and most moms are pretty adept, and they already got that cooking. It's right there on the counter. The boys come up, chew the bacon, and go back downstairs and start shooting zombies. I know how it is. 10.30. You're like, oh, man, the company will be here in an hour and a half. So you get the big table out. Your husband might help you put the leaves in, but usually you have to haul up those leaves of the table from the basement. You put that big table out. You get that big white tablecloth. Then you get the best china with the silver out there. It's 11.30. Cats start rolling in. They start throwing their coats either in the bedroom or on the counter. 12 o'clock, you serve the meal. Some people are like, do we have to eat the meal here? Or can I go in the living room and watch the game? But the rest of them, you're sitting around a table, there's a lot of laughs. You ask either the oldest man to pray or you pray, and usually the oldest man prays like this. Thank you. Amen. And then you go in to eat. And then when you eat, people start, you know, just stuffing that turkey and, I mean, heaps of gravy on top of mashed potatoes and stuffing and cranberries. And you got the whole thing, a piece of ham to go, and then big, big rolls with butter caked on top and honey. Then you're done eating. The game's on. So everybody glides effortlessly onto the couch watching the Lions lose. Yes, lose, and most fall asleep. Three-quarters of people fall asleep. There you are, standing there. The table is a war zone. It's just gravies all over the place, mashed potato lumps are on that white tablecloth, and in your heart you're saying, isn't anybody going to say thank you to me? Some of you feel that way. In your heart, you're like, I just want somebody to come crawling on their knees saying, Mom, thank you. Thank you. But no, they're snoozing in the living room. I want somebody that is so grateful to just come in here and help me clean up. Some of you, I predict, are going to feel that way, that explosive. Isn't anybody appreciative? Have you ever bought your kid a new pair of basketball shoes? They're kind of expensive. You bring them home and they say, that's the wrong color. And you say, just choke them. Aren't you even thankful, you rotten, no good kid? You know, it's in you. But that demand for thankfulness is not the thankfulness I'm talking about. Do you realize what you're asking for there is not thankfulness at all? It's a demand for payment of services rendered. Actually, a lot of us are like that towards God. We think because we really can't pay God back for salvation, we have to just thank him. That's kind of how we pay him back. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. As if our thankfulness is God needs that. You know, he doesn't need that at all. What I'm going to argue today is we need that. We need to do this. I believe thankfulness is a necessity for us. That's why the title today is The Necessity of Giving Thanks. Actually, that kind of gratitude where you're paying somebody back to theologians is called the debtor's ethic. Let me read what one writer said. The debtor's ethic says, because you've done something good for me, I feel indebted to do something good for you. This impulse is not what gratitude was designed to produce. God meant gratitude to be a spontaneous expression of pleasure in the gift and the goodwill of another person. 
so really, being thankful is not a payment rendered. I've seen on Facebook where people are right, I'm sick of all this political stuff. Can't people just be thankful? It's just all gone, and I'm going to make you be thankful. Thankfulness is a spontaneous expression of a gift or a person that you are overwhelmed with, and you cannot believe it's directed to you. But I'm going to argue today, it's not just a spontaneous expression. It is an intentional understanding. And I, I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to mention Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh says it's an attitude of gratitude, meaning it's dialed up on your brain and you start seeing life like that. It's intentional. It's not spontaneous. It's sort of like this when I got back from Israel. People say, how was Israel? And what they want me to say, I think some, what some of them want me to say, is when I went to Israel, heavens opened. And I was floating as I was going through Galilee. Ooh, like, whoa, I've touched heaven. And it was, as I was there, do you know Israel's a lot like the United States, has dirt, angry people, that has more guns than the United States has, actually, soldiers. And so in a way, it's kind of scary, but then... I started thinking and reading scripture saying, oh, this is where Jesus walked on water. Oh, this is where he, that's where he rose up into the sky. And then it starts clicking. It has to be intentional. It's the same way Thanksgiving. Turn to Psalm 138, and I'll show you what I mean by the necessity of giving thanks. And by necessity, making thanksgiving or gratitude something that is intentional on your part. Psalm 138 is all about that. It's written by David. David begins in verse 1. And he says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down to your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the way of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So here's a Psalm of David, and I believe the point is verse 1. Verse 1 encapsulates, it's sort of the envelope to the rest of the, ver of the verse. And the point is, is I will give thanks with my whole heart. That word thanks in some passages you'll say, I will praise the Lord. In the NIV it will say, I will praise the Lord. But the intent, actually the word, uh, Jared, is where we get the word Judah, Judah, I, praising God, and his oldest son's name, Judah, and praise of God. Isaiah chapter 12, he talks about, I will praise you, O Lord, for you were angry with me, but your anger has turned away. He's saying, I am praising you because of what's going on. So it's an issue of gratitude. And this praise is literally the idea of singing. I will give thanks. And then he says, how? With my whole heart. 
This is akin to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind. Some writers say what this is by saying loving with the whole heart. The whole heart is the factory of where you center yourself, where what drives a person. So when you say I'm going to love the Lord with my whole heart, it's not just emotions. I'm spontaneously happy. It's I'm going to think about him. I am going to consider why I need to thank him. And I'm going to live a willful life of gratitude. That's what that means. Again, remember, giving thanks is not something God needs. It's really something we need. And I'm going to give two reasons why. And the first reason, I think, is the most important reason of all, why I intentionally need to give thanks. It's because when I give thanks, it puts everything else in my life in proper order. It puts what's on top on top, so everything that should be secondary or should be third place, or fourth place, finally fits. On the bottom I wrote, it finally gives credit where credit is due. And the second part, it leaves nothing for others. That's where in verse 1, you see how he says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart, before the gods I sing your praise. There's some discussion on gods. What does that mean? Actually, Calvin and Luther think it's talking about the angels. He's going to praise God while the angels are watching. But really the idea is, I am going to let the pagan gods, these idols that everybody else worships, I'm going to let them know that God is my God. In other words, I'm going to give all of my heart to God, and I have no scraps left over for anything else, including my idols. You know what our idols are? It's either myself, exalting myself, or the things that come first all the time that shouldn't. When I give praise to God, things fall in line. When I give praise to God, I am not obsessed with sports. It doesn't define me. I was okay after yesterday's game in the Michigan State game. I was okay. I survived it. Do you know there's a point in my life when I wouldn't have been okay? When it actually ruled me? It's weird how idols, they take over my emotions. But I've already given my emotions to the Lord, so nothing else can take over my I came into church this morning and I saw a couple Michigan State people and they're like, ha, ha, ha. And you know what I envision? Last night when they were kicking that final field goal and the Michigan State kicker went up to kick the ball, that ball in the mind of those Michigan State people was my head. And it was going through, I'm going to get Chris tomorrow. See, you're, it's an idol, you guys. Give it up. Give it up. It's a terrible game. What happens, what happens when things don't, are not put in order? What happens when God does not, when I don't intentionally thank God first? What happens? I'm going to say there's two things that happen, Scripture says. The first one is I'm going to forget all that he's done for me. Go to Deuteronomy 8. This to me, Deuteronomy 8 is one of the saddest passages in the Scriptures. Moses is giving the law a second time. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And Moses gathers Israel and says, all right, we've wandered the desert for 40 years. We're going to enter the promised land. But before we do, let me tell you again about God and what he's done. And in verse 8, I want you to look at verse 11. He says, take care. In other words, now listen. 
lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. What he just said in all those verses is you need to be thankful. Look what he did. Now verse 17. Beware if you forget, lest you say in your heart, my power, the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you that you shall surely perish. Do you notice how he says, first of all, do you realize what you have been rescued from? Fiery serpents. You had water come out of the rock. In a way, he's saying, look in the past and look at what God has done for you. Honestly, in your life, what has God done for you? What has he done for you that you are overwhelmed by? You need to remember those things. I mean, really, remember those things. Keep them close. I can't, I honestly, this will be odd for you. I can't believe somebody liked me, like my wife liked me. I can't believe it. I was a weird guy. And she started dating me. And I'd go home, I'd say, she really likes me. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. I'm looking in the mirror, and I wouldn't like me. What in the world? And she said, I do to me. To me, when I look back on that, that's a miracle that I need to be grateful for. But what happens over time, we get angry at our spouses. What, in, what has happened to us? So remember what he's done. And then he says the reason why, if you don't remember, these two things will happen to you. You're going to wax fat and kick, is what the NIV says. You're going to get fat and arrogant. You're going to start thinking, everything is that I did, I did. Me, me. Talking to somebody that was, is really has a heart for somebody in his family who wants nothing to do with God. And I asked him, why doesn't he want to have anything to do with God? And he said, because all the Christians he knows go after God because they can't make it on their own. What do you have that wasn't first given to you by God? Tell me. Tell me. Have you ever watched your child from the time he's an infant born in a hospital to grow up? What have you done to make them six foot tall? How can you, well, I fed him every day. Really, was it you growing him or was it God healing him and growing him and giving him everything he needs? We take a lot of credit that we don't deserve. And what happens to us is we wax fat. That means we forget how needy we are. We grow arrogant. The second thing I would say is what happens when you don't thank God? You start ignoring him. And this is the scary one. This is Romans. You've probably... Heard this preached often from the pulpit. But Romans chapter 1, to me, if you want to know what's wrong with the world, this is it. They forgot. Not only forgot, but they ignored God. Look at what it says in verse 18. Romans chapter 1. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So it's saying, first of all, is they, they know things, but most people suppress it. They push it down. They, ignoring means they just don't want to know. They don't want to know. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. The things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So they knew God. They really know deep in their hearts that God made everything. But they didn't give him thanks. And then it says what happens, because they didn't give him thanks, God gives them over to a foolish heart where they start making idols and gods. And everything is turned upside down. Men start lusting after men. That's, that's not the right order of things. Women start giving their bodies to, that's just not the right order of things where people get angry and they fight. You can read through it. It just says when you don't give God praise, the world is turned upside down. So what happens when you ignore God? You become silly-minded. This is a picture of the Hindu God. And the Hindu God's a fat elephant with six arms and people worship that? Do you really think that God exists? Well, they'll say that's just a, a, a physical representation of the the being. That's silly. It's exactly what it says in Romans 1. They just make cartoon figures to worship. So if we go back to Psalm 138, what is it we are to put on the top of all things? What is it that we are to think about? Psalm 138 verse 2 says, I bow down to your holy temple. The holy temple represents the presence where God dwells. And there's two things when I think about him at his holy temple. I give thanks to his name. Let's see, verse 2 says, and give thanks to your name for steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. So on the top is his name and his word. What's his name represents? It refers to everything he is. That's why it says your love and your thankfulness, or your faithfulness, his character and his works. That's everything he is. It's his name. And then it says his word. What is his word? The expression of who he is. Go to Psalm 111 a second. It says exactly the same thing. Psalm 111. Just verses 1 and 2. It says, praise the Lord. So sing praise. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Exactly the same line as Psalm 138. In the company of the upright and the congregation. So in Psalm 138, he's going to bow before the, the idols and say, I'm... My God is who I'm praising. In this one, I'm going to give praise with those who believe in you. But verse 2, here's what he says. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all those who delight in him. And what he's saying is the works of the Lord, you need to just study them and understand them and think about them, and it will cause you to be grateful. So if we are to exalt his name and his word, is there anybody that has his name as the exact expression of his word? Jesus means Jehovah saves. He carries his name, and Jesus is called the Logos, the word of God. Jesus Christ is on top, and we need to give him praise with all our whole heart. That means we need to think about everything he's done for us. Everything he's done for us. He's the one that made me. 
He's the one that breathed life into me. He is the one who died. I should really keep that up front every day because then what it does, it puts everything in order and I don't start giving praise to silly things. And I don't grow arrogant and fat. So that's the first thing we need to start doing is we need to intentionally give thanks because it puts things in order. The second thing it does, I love how the rest of the psalm reads, is when you give thanks, when you give thanks, you start growing in strength. You start getting strong. So the second thing is giving thanks gives me strength. Look at how it reads. Verse 3, he's talking about the past. He says, on the day I called, you answered me. So he's giving thanks for answered prayer. And when God showed up and he answered prayer and David's heart was rejoicing, he then says, my strength of soul you increased, meaning my inner self was strengthened. My character, who I am, I, I become a strong, I'm not insecure, I'm secure in my standing. When you give thanks and you look back on all that God has done for you, if he has done that, it says two things. It says he's real. He exists. And if he did that in the past, he will do it in the future. If he rescued me like that in the past, he's going to show up in the future. And what that does, that gives you strength in the now. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. And then when you say, I'll be okay, you become a stronger person both in the way you express things. This is how he gives you strength. The first one, go to the next slide. When I am strong, I can, first of all, I can start testifying in ways I never have before. When you really know God is good, you are really grateful, you can start talking to other people about him. The reason why I think people aren't strong evangelists, they're not sure about God. Listen to what it says. Verse 4. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Now what this is talking about is all the kings of the earth are going to give praise to God. Why? They heard the words of your mouth. Where did they hear the words of your mouth? From the psalmist who's giving praise from the people of God who were bold enough to say, my God is amazing. Let me give you an example of how this is true. Go to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 follows exactly this psalm. It's amazing. Starting in verse um, 4. This is in Babylon, and if you know anything about Daniel, Daniel was one of the top officials. Daniel was a godly man, and everybody was jealous of him. And verse 4 says, The high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel. So they wanted to find a reason to take Daniel down, because he was really one of the top dog officials in all of the nation Babylon. So they came up with an agreement in verse 6 says these high officials and satraps came by an agreement that the king said, O King Darius, they're basically they're baiting the king to get rid of Daniel, but they're suckering up to him. 
O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials at the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions. So they're saying, oh, you're so good, king. We love you. You're the best. And everybody should praise you for 30 days. And they're suckering up to the king because they're, they're appealing to his arrogance. He's, and he's like, great idea. But they're doing it because they know Daniel won't. What does Daniel do? Verse 10. When Daniel knew that this document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem, towards his temple. Psalm 138, I will bow towards your temple. He got down on his knees. He bowed three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Verse 11. And these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before the God. Then they came near and said before the king, O king, did you not sign an injunction? And the king said, Yes, I did. So they threw him in the lion's den. That's what verse 16 is about. But that king, like Daniel, is a little nervous. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast in the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. So in a way, he's for Daniel and Daniel's worship of his God. And you know the rest of the story. Daniel spends the night with the, with the animals. In verse 24, And the king commanded those men who had maliciously accused Daniel brought and cast in a den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. That's terrible. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. So Daniel survived the night with the lions, the king was so mad, he threw those counselors in. He threw them into the den. They're falling into the den of lions. The lions are so hungry that they eat the whole families before they fall to the ground. Those are some bad lions. And Daniel survived. And because Daniel survived, look at verse 28. King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages, peace be multiplied. I make a decree that all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed. Why did this king praise God? Because Daniel testified and gave thanks to God in front of all the other gods. What's interesting, did you guys, did, I'm sure some of you have followed the Ronda Rousey-Holly Holmes fight. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. I kind of do. I don't want anybody to know. I saw that rotten, violent sport. Ronda Rousey was this great fighter, the greatest. Nobody could ever beat her. They bring in this lady, Holly Holm, and she's just a boxer. She's a 2001 odd. She's going to be knocked out by Ronda Rousey. And then they give a description. They call Holly Holm a preacher's daughter. And they write her bio. She likes cats and reading her Bible. She's this little humble girl that's going to be destroyed by poor old Ronda. Holly Holm goes into that thing and beats the tar out of her. Ronda Rousey looked ridiculous. But Holly Holm, she was just humble as can be. And now people are like, hey, Ronda Rousey's terrible. People are so fickle. But you stand strong on God, and people will see what God has done in your life, and they will start waking up to you have something. You've got something. And I want to know that, God. The second thing is when, when I am strong, I can do something else. 
I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Listen to how it's written, verse 6. For though the Lord is high, I mean this God that we've been praising, he's, his name, his works are unbelievable. Though he's high, he regards me. He regards me. You're saying, where does it say he regards me? The word the lowly, just put me in there. He regards me. Put your name in there. Though the Lord is high, he regards Chris. He regards Bill. He regards Joni. For though he's high, he regards me. But the haughty, those arrogant people, man, he doesn't really know them. He's far off. And then it says, though I walk in the midst of trouble. Have you ever walked in the midst of trouble? Anybody? Or is your life like tiptoeing through the tulips with a ukulele? Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. In other words, what he's saying is because when I give thanks, when I give thanks, it's I'm focusing on what he did for me in the past. And he's done some amazing things. I mean, if I was a Jew, I'd say he brought water out of a rock. So if he's done these amazing things, right now I'm in trouble, but you know what? Some of my trouble's not what it used to be. I'm so much better off. If he delivered me then, he'll deliver me now. Romans 8.34 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up graciously for you all, how will he not also along with him give you all things? If he gave his son, what's a little prayer compared to the death of his son? It's like asking for a penny after he broke the bank for you. It's nothing. I love how Psalm 13 says it. Psalm 13 says, every day I wrestle with thoughts. Every day I've got trouble in my heart. I, I, I want to sleep the sleep of death. I, I'm not going to make it. He's talking about the feelings in the midst of trouble. Then he says, however, you've been good to me. So I will trust you. Whatever it is, honestly, right now you're going through, think about what he's done in your past. And if he showed up then, will he not show up now? Are you lowly? Yeah. It says here in verse 6, even though he's high, he regards you. You're foremost on his mind. So when you give thanksgiving, it's not just, you're not paying God back for the things he's done. It's a way he wants to bless you by making you strong. Knowing he showed up in the past, he'll show up in the future. So that's why in verse 8, the writer writes this. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He's convinced because he's been through a time of thanksgiving. He's now convinced of God's existence and his ability. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. I know it. Do not forsake the work of your hands. It's a constant plea and a constant cry. I'm going to end with um, one more prediction for Thanksgiving. I predict those same people that, I think, I'm, I'm going to actually throw more people in this. When, when I say Thanksgiving is this Thursday, I predict some of you are stressed out right now. To the max. To the maximum. Wednesday, you will be stressed. I predict you will be stressed out. Why? 
Why? Is it because all of your Thanksgiving up to that time, all the years past, have been a complete wipeout? Like, think back on some of those Thanksgiving. Even when the turkey was dry, did it ruin the day? No. How about um, maybe your car didn't make it on time and you had to have a stopover to get it fixed. Did that ruin your whole Thanksgiving? No, I, finally, I did get to see the people I love and we were able to give thanks to God. Then why are you stressed today? Because, because you like to control it and have it your way. That's why. Do you know what Thanksgiving does? It lets him have it his way. It says, I will do what I can, but you know what? Who cares if it doesn't go my way? The Lord has been good to me. I can't even believe I have a turkey. I can't even believe I have mashed potatoes. When you start giving thanks, it lets you let go of your world for a second and lets him take it. And when he takes it, you don't need to stress out. Who cares if your carpet's dirty? Honestly, it will be dirty after your kids, all Jared's kids will drop the mashed potatoes on the floor. I once read this. Actually, it's a book. You didn't give me this book. Who gave me this? Paul Slaughter gave me this book. And it's talking about hospitality. It says, now when we, when we have hospitality, we give hospitality to serve other people. But actually, we have turned it up on our heads. When people come over and the house isn't nice, we say, oh, I'm so sorry. The house isn't the way I want. And, and what happens, people then will feel obligated to make you feel better. So in us, that's really not hospitality. Actually, you're having people over so they can be hospitable to you. It's screwy. You see what I'm saying? We want to have people over so they can feel relaxed. And I guarantee you, 90% don't care how clean the house is. They really don't. But we do. So what we do is we say, oh, I wish this was better. I'm so sorry. I wish it was cleaner. I wish the turkey was more moist. And what we're actually doing is we are seeking compliments from other people so they are the ones that are being hospitable to me. So in our attempt to be hospitable, we've turned it upside our head. We just want people to like me and be impressed by me. That's not hospitality. That's ridiculous is what it is. Do you see what I'm saying? So why are you stressed? Here's what this psalm is saying. Listen to what this psalm is saying. This is the conclusion. Next slide. God has everything under control. He does. So relax. Take a deep breath right now. Try it. <sighs> if you think you had a bad Thanksgiving one time, I'm just telling you, Michelle and I had such a bad Thanksgiving. We, we thought we'd get a pre-made turkey, but it wasn't pre-made, so we put it in a microwave, and it was tasted like rubber. It was terrible. So we went out, and we got pizzas, you know, like a... Toward Totino's, those dollar pizzas, and the kids didn't care. They didn't care. So relax and give thanks. Give thanks. Let go of praise to God. I'd invite Jared, if you and a worship team can come up. I want to pray for you. And I want you to, in your minds, think of all of the things that really you have to get done for you to feel good, not for your family or neighbors if you're good everything that you have to get done do you have to have the house look like pinterest do you i don't know let's take those things and give them to god and say god i want my family to have a great holiday but i also 
I want it to be a time when we really do enjoy each other in you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you've done with, uh, with saving all of us. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent to us. I thank you, God, for this day that we can gaze upon your word. Help us to exalt your name in your word, to put that top dog. And then, Father, help us to trust that everything else will fall into place. Help us even this Thanksgiving to enjoy it and to give you real thanks. You deserve it, but we give thanks to you because you are great, and it's the best thing for us to do. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.